Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Ignoring me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, well, I'm excited because spring is coming, I think, maybe. I don't think this is, I think we already had fake spring, so I think this is, I think this is the beginning of the real deal. Amen? I'm excited about that. I love spring. Well, we're in a series called In It for Life. I think I'm wrapping it up. Uh, Pastor Peter has talked about uh, being in it for life for our community, being filled with the Holy Spirit to outpour into our community. He talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit for your personal um, life and uh, how it operates in your personal life. And he talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can have an outpouring in the body of Christ. Now today I'm going to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit for your family. In it for life for your family. And I had a really hard time with this because I got nine pages of no's, guys. So I'm going to go like a stinking machine gun, probably. Because this is what is true and dear to my heart. The family. This is what you can really get my motor going on, is talking about family, raising children, marriages, and those type of things. And I feel like I'm a little bit qualified. This isn't in my notes to tell you all my qualifications. But um, the reason I feel like I'm qualified is because I'm older. And I've been married a long time. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in a few minutes. And not only have I raised two children, well, they're not children anymore. I have raised two heirs to our wealth. Um, And they've got children. Some of them are young adults now. But you know, we have been in this business a long, long time. And not only as pastors have we been in this business a long, long time, we have had the opportunity to have a school. And some people might call that a curse. I'm not sure. Some days I do myself, but some days I call it a blessing and an opportunity. But I know one thing. We've seen generations come and go. We've seen kids come from kindergarten, go all the way through school, have kids of their own, and bring them back to the same school that they swore that they would never, ever make their children go to a Christian school. We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've made our own share of mistakes, and we've seen other people make their fair share of mistakes, too. So um, I'm not going to be able to go into a lot of detail of do's and don'ts in raising children today or trying to make your marriage work, but I'm going to hit some highlights that I think are very, very, very detrimental and very important. Peter made this statement. He said, the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sends us. He said, if we're trying to live without the Holy Spirit, we're always trying to live off of somebody else's revelation. We have to have the Holy Spirit for our lives. You need the Holy Spirit for your family. You need the Holy Spirit for your marriage, for your relationships, past, present, and future. You need Holy Spirit operating in your life. And then one of the important things for us to realize is it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. 
is about Jesus. It's about bringing glory to God in every area of our lives. You know, it's wonderful that we do receive blessings by serving God. We receive blessings, like Alan talked about, when we tithe and when we give. We receive blessings. We receive favor. Doors are open for us. All those great and wonderful things that we get and we receive, I feel like it's a bonus myself for serving God because just by the mere fact of Romans 10, 9, and 10, we get to go to heaven when we receive Jesus as our Lord. Okay? That should be good enough. But God is so gracious and so wonderful that he has provided us with many, many, many blessings that come because we serve him. Amen? But I'm concerned because it seems like the church has gotten so fixated on the blessings in the past 40 years that we are overlooking the blesser. And we are not making it our goal to bring glory to him in every area of our lives. It's not, we've gotten to the whole what about me, what about me thing. But it has to be, what about him? It has to be bringing glory to God. It needs to be our primary focus in our relationship with him. So we have to ask ourselves, how can we bring glory to God in our relationship, in our family? How can we bring glory to God in our relationships with our children? So I said our first priority has to be to honor the Heavenly Father in every area of our lives. And I know sometimes that may seem to be an impossibility. In fact, it may kind of seem to be a kind of a lofty goal. You want me to honor God in every area of my life? Oh, Lord. And the truth is we fail because we're just people. None of us have arrived. None of us have make it, made it. We're, none of us are perfect. We're just people. And we're all people that... Our, our hopefully our goal is to bring glory to him. Hopefully our goal is to hear his voice in every area of our lives. So, it's, but the good news is, although that we're people and although that we fail, God has already given us the power to overcome in every area of our lives. He has provided us with it. You know, he didn't, you know, sometimes you see, you hear about people that are teaching their kids to swim. I never did this, but I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. And they just say, just throw them in the pool. They'll figure it out. I don't know if that's a really good policy or not, because one time Tyler fell in the pool when he was a little bitty guy, and he almost drowned. He didn't figure it out. Pastor Pete had to jump in and save him because his mother just stood at the edge in shock as her son goes to the bottom of the pool. But, so he didn't figure that one out too quick. So I don't think that's a good idea. And you know what? God didn't do that to us. He didn't just throw us down here and say, figure it out. <laughs> You're on your own, guys. Do the best you can. He gave us the power to be able to be overcomers here on this earth. And so I want you, we're going to put up on the screen 2 Peter 1.3. We're going to do this one in the message translation. I think this is the only one I have in message this, today. 2 Peter 1.3. One of my favorite scriptures, so much so that I taught on this verse for like 10 weeks on Wednesday nights. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. I want you to focus on the part. It said, everything that goes into life-pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. 
So we cannot say, I just can't do it. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell because you can. Because you have got the power to do it. The word says, Alan was talking about believing that the word of God is true. It's the real word of God. He really means what it says. This is true. He has given it to us. But he's given it to us when we, we gain that by getting to know him. By getting to know him, by spending time with him, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in the word, by coming to church and hearing the word of God ministered, by the environment that you're in. We've been given it, but it has to become a reality in our lives. And it becomes a reality when we spend time cultivating that relationship with Jesus. Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us. True or not? True. I mean, if you believe the word, and I believe the word, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Alan asked everybody in here that if they thought they were going to go to hell to raise their hand. I don't think anybody did. So what that tells me is every one of y'all are born again believers. And what that tells me is every one of y'all fit into this, this um, description that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. True? All right. One more. Because we are... I'm talking about, I'm trying to make you understand that God did not leave you hopeless and helpless, that God gave you the power to overcome, that you have the ability to bring glory to God in every area of your life. I want to make you understand that. So let's look at one more scripture where that is concerned. Let's look at Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. And we're going to read this one out of the NIV. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. There go our fast sound tech guys up there getting that stuff on the screen for us. Don't you love them? I hated working in the sound booth. I tell you all that a lot when I'm up here ministering, but I hated it because if you make a mistake, the entire sanctuary knows it. It's not one of those things that you can just kind of hide. If you throw the wrong scripture up there, you don't get the scripture up there. If you got the wrong verse up there, everybody in the sanctuary is like, oh, what are they doing up there? They do a lot. All right, Ephesians 3, and that's my commercial for the sound tech guys. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to what? His power. His power where? In us. According to his power working in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It is his power and it is for his glory. It's not so that we can walk around saying that we're all that in a bag of chips. And we got all this wonderful power. And look at me, I'm great. No, it's about bringing glory to him in everything we say, in everything we do, in our actions, and in our families. It's his power. It's his power that we operate in, that he has made available to us. It's his power. We have the ability to reveal his power 
his goodness, his glory, his love. We have the ability to reveal the very essence of who God is here upon this earth. And not only do we have the ability, that's what he wants us to do. Hello, believers. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, do we do that every second of every day? I wish I could say I did. I wish I could say how together I've got it. But I don't. But I'm working. and He's still working on me. But we have everything we need to be overcomers. We have to cultivate it, and we have to use it. See, it's one thing to know you have something. It's another thing to develop it and to use it in your life. You can have all the wonderful woodworking tools in your cabinet or shop or wherever. That you, all of them. You can have the very best of the best. But if you don't know how to use them, they're no good to you. And if you try to use them and you don't know how to use them, you just make a mess. Amen? I mean, I would. Maybe you would, but I would. So the thing is, God wants us to cultivate that power and that revelation in our lives, and he wants us to use it. He wants us to operate in it. So we have to do that. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to read you a quote from um, Lyndon Johnson. may not be everybody's favorite, but the quote is amazing. He said, The family is the cornerstone of our society. More than any other force, it shapes the attitude, the hopes, the ambitions, and the values of the child. And when the family collapses, it is the children that are usually damaged. When it happens on a massive scale, the community itself is crippled. So unless we work to strengthen the family, to create conditions under which most parents will stay together, all the rest, schools, playgrounds, and public assistance and private concerns will never be enough. Confucius say, to put the world right in order, we must first put the nation in order. To put the nation in order, we must first put the family in order. To put the family in order, we must first cultivate our personal life. We must first set our hearts aright. Now, when you apply that to your relationship with God, it's so, so applicable. We must, we got to get ourselves right. We get ourselves right, we can get our families right. Get our families right, we can help with the, the, those that we come in contact with. We can help with the church. We can help with our community, the nation. It's all improved because the families are right. Now, I'm definitely not throwing anybody under the bus if you, ha if you have ended up in a divorce or never were married or whatever the situation may be. It all begins in our own personal hearts and getting our lives right. And then we can begin to touch and affect those that we have to do with, whether that's our children or our grandchildren, our spouses, whoever it is. It starts in getting ourselves right. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to give us wisdom and insight into every situation. In Romans 8, 26, the Bible tells us that we don't even know how to pray for as we ought to pray. Y'all, we got to have the Holy Spirit. This is a crazy, mixed-up world. You know, we joke about a lot of stuff that's going on in the world today. I was telling Alan, well, you just, I, he was talking about having to go to the bathroom on a trip. He said he was glad that the men's bathroom wasn't full. And I said, well, just identify as a woman if it is. No problem. 
You know, we make jokes about how fallen our society is. But the thing is, is we need Holy Spirit more than ever. We need Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And you know, I don't, I don't, in fact, I know society isn't any more decrepit than it was back in when Nero was <laughs> the ruler. And in those days, it was horrible. But you know what? Everybody didn't have it in their faces all the time, like we do across the world, with whatever is going on in the world, in every corner of the world, in everybody's households, in their yards, in their businesses. It's in our faces all the time because of social media and the news media and those type of things. So it's hard to get in your own little corner and live in your own little world. I told Heidi, she said something the other day, and I said, yeah, stop the world. And she said, don't say that, Mom. Last time I said stop the world, everything stopped. <laughs> we don't want that to happen again. So you're right, we're not going there. We have to be intentional in listening to the Holy Spirit where our personal decisions, our marriage decisions, and our family decisions are made. I want to use that word intentional. We have to be intentional. You have to purpose in your heart. It doesn't just happen. It's something that you work at. It's something that you are intentional about. I am going to be intentional about seeking God for my life. I'm going to be intentional about seeking God for my children. I'm going to be intentional about seeking God for my marriage. We have to be intentional about it. Making decisions, intentional about Holy Spirit and our decisions. I read some articles the other day. The Internet is really wonderful, but also it can be exasperating. I read some articles the other day. I asked Alan how many, he said something one time about how many decisions we make in a day. So I get on the internet and I'm looking up all these different articles. I just got to tell y'all, they ranged from 70 decisions a day to 35,000. It's a little bit of a span right there. 70 to 35,000. But the decisions were everything from whether you adjust your position to get comfortable to major decisions in your life. And so for the purpose of this today, we're going to go with the 70 decisions a day thing. You can pick whatever number you want because it doesn't matter. Every decision can be a very important decision. A decision you make in your day can be a life-altering decision. A decision you make for your child can be a life-altering decision. So we need the Holy Spirit, whether it's 35,000 decisions a day or five decisions a day. We need the Holy Spirit helping and guiding us when we make those decisions. <clears throat> we need the Holy Spirit helping us in decisions where our relationships and our marriages are concerned. I've heard over the years that 50, the, the statistics have been 50% of all marriages end up in a divorce. Once again on the internet, seeking, searching to find out if that statistic still stands, if it's true, how recent it was, blah, blah, blah. And what I found out was that that statistic is not exactly accurate because of the, I'm not going to go into all the details, but because of the um, things that they took into account and the things that they did not take into account. Because the statistic was 50% of all marriages end up in divorce. The more accurate statistic that I can find, you can do your own research, was 30%. But I want to read the, a paragraph out of this article. 
There's definite good news regarding divorce rates in Christians and Christians contrary to what's been reported for years. The divorce rate is not 50%, it's more like 30. And then we find that people, I want you to listen to this, people who keep God at the center of their home and family stay married at a far greater rate and even thrive within those marriages. One of the reasons for this is that those who first, whose first commitment is to the lordship of Jesus put fewer expectations upon their spouses to meet their emotional needs that only God can meet. The lessening of unrealistic expectations gives marriage a stronger foundation upon with which to withstand difficult times. And every marriage has difficult times. I don't care if you've been married six months or 60 years. Because we're people, like I said to begin with. And we all want our way. And we all have our own little idiosyncrasies and things that we like and things that we don't like. And we're just like a bunch of molecules always crashing <laughs> with each other in a marriage and in a family. It can be difficult. Most of y'all know I'm from a large family. Alan's from a large family. There are a bunch of us. And I told Alan this morning, we have Malachi McKenna right now. And so I'm, I'm up and getting ready to minister and getting two little people ready for church and running around, you know. I don't do that every day, you know. I don't get the breakfast and wash the hair. And, and if you've ever brushed McKenna's hair, you know that is not a blessing of the Lord, okay. And so... Uh, just dealing with all that, and I told Alan, I walked in the bathroom, I said, I do not know how my mother ever got seven kids ready for anything and herself to boot. And then I narrowed it down, five, even five, four, even four. How do you, how do you get all those people ready and get out the door with your sanity? You don't, you just get out the door. Leave your sanity at home. It'll catch up. But marriage is hard. Marriage is hard, and family is hard. But don't, I don't want you to feel like if you get married or you are married, you've only got a 50% chance of making it because if you've got Jesus as the center of your marriage, your chances are greatly increased. So if you're thinking if you've been married, gotten divorced, feel like a failure, don't feel like a failure. Don't feel like a failure. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. But you know what? God's redeeming love can redeem that. And the next time, if you do it again, put Jesus first place in your marriage. Amen? Anyone can argue. I'm great at it. Anyone can argue. Anyone can fight for their rights. But it takes a man or a woman of God to just stop and wait on God. Just stop. Next time you start to open your mouth and get in an argument, just stop and just wait on God. Alan and I have been married 49 years in November. That's right, right? 49 in November. Okay. 49, I forget how old I am, so how, you know. Anyway, 49 years in November. And to say that we've had more than our fair share of problems would be an understatement because... Whew. We had somebody prophesy to us one time. They didn't know us. This was years and years ago. And they said, they had their hands on our heads, and they're like, 
I see you two like two cats that somebody put in a bag and tied it up and shook it. <laughs> True story. Elaine was there, she'll, prop, she'll, she'll verify. Accurate description. I'm like, you don't even know us. I thought we looked rather holy and sanctified. We were at a Christian conference, and this is the prophecy that we get. But it was true. Talk about turmoil. Oh, my goodness gracious. But God, but God can bring peace. It doesn't have to be that way. And one thing, if I have learned one thing, Say one thing. One thing, wait. Just wait. Wait on God. But you know what? You have to be intentional about it. You have to purpose in your heart. I'm just going to wait. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And isn't that what we all want? Someone to care for us? Ladies, Hello? I mean, seriously. That's what we want. We just want someone to care. I mean, I just want someone to care about me. I do. He cares for us. But that word cares goes deeper than he cares for me. It means he's concerned with, he's thoughtful, he's interested, he's aware of, he takes notice of, and he gives painful and meticulous meticulous attention to That's what he does for you. Cast your cares on him because he really gives meticulously painful attention to you. And when we cast our cares on him, things work out right. We want to know someone's fighting for us and somebody is on our side. But the thing is, is we got to trust him. We have to truly trust that God cares for us, and he cares for our well-being. We all want our children to believe that we want what's best for them when we don't give them what they want, but we don't want to believe that God wants what's best for us when he doesn't give us what we want. Come on, parents. John 6, 63 tells us that it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And y'all, we all need life, don't we? We need life. And it's the word of God that brings life to our lives. But for some reason, that's something that we neglect because we're so busy seeking life. It's like being thirsty and walking right by by the water hose. That, you know... The Word is what brings us life. Holy Spirit is what brings us life. So why do we try to do things out of our own reasoning? Why is it we try to figure things out for ourselves and not allow the Holy Spirit to help us? And when we try to do things out of our own reasonings and our own wills and our own desires, we just end up in trouble. I mean, I do. Maybe y'all are smarter than me. You probably are smarter than me, but... That's one thing good about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how smart you are. If you're following after him, you're going to get it right. (laughs) 
But I promise you, if you are not intentional about improving, improving hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, improving your relationships, improving your marriages, it's not going to happen. You have to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. You have to make it work. And I don't care how long you've been married. Your marriage could still get better. We've been married 49 years, like I said, in November. And you know what? Right now, our marriage is better than it was a year ago. So your marriage can continually get better and better and better. But why, why does it take God so much work for us? Because we're so stubborn, I guess. I mean, I know we are, Alan. <laughs> We'll talk about that a little bit, too. We are extremely strong-willed people. And we both want our own way. But you know what? That doesn't work because somebody's going to lose. If if you've got two kids and they both want the same piece of candy and somebody's going to get that piece of candy, somebody's not. Somebody's going to lose. But you know what? If you will let God intervene in those situations... One thing I have learned to do over the years is I said stop and pray. And don't just pray, oh God, I used to just pray, God, make Alan see it my way. Lord, help him to see what I need or whatever the situation was. I do not pray that anymore. I'm smarter than that. Because, anyway, I'm smarter than that. (laughs) What I do pray now is, God, your will even if it's not what I want. Because you know why? Because that's what's best. Even if it's not what I want, Lord, give Alan wisdom. Give me wisdom. We want your will in whatever the situation is more than we want our will because his will is the right way. And I guarantee you, if you will start doing that in your life and putting God's will first place in your life, then things will change for you. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He, how can we both win? We can both win by allowing God to work those things out. Because it's always going to work out for our good. Always. Every single time. We became intentional years ago about our marriage when we decided that we wanted to grow old together. And when we've had some rough times over the years. I can't tell you how many times that's come back to either one of us. Well, if we want to grow old together, we got to get through this one. If we want our children to come to our house for Christmas and Thanksgiving and birthdays and holidays, and we want them to bring their children to our house, and we don't want to have to go to his house and then go to my house. We want them to come to our house. We have got to be intentional about that. We've got to purpose in our hearts. So somewhere along the line, one of us has to give. Something's got to change if we're going to see that goal happen in our lives, if we're going to get old together. And we're almost old. I said we were old. Not quite. Almost. Right. Well, Anyway, we're going to grow old together. We are growing old together against all odds. If you look statistically at the odds for our relationship to make it, it's not good. 
it's like, it will not happen. Teenagers get married, they don't stay married. Teenagers have babies and try to get married. They don't stay married. It just doesn't happen as a general rule. God has been so good to us. Yeah, we've been through a lot of things. We've had a lot of hard knocks, but God has been very, very faithful. Marriage is not for sissies. You've got to be strong. You've got to be willing to stick it out. But another thing is raising children is not for sissies either. Well, I say raising children. We don't want to <laughs> That's such a weird thing. You don't want to raise children. You want to raise adult. You want to raise these little people to become responsible, godly adults. So we don't want to. You raise tomatoes, and they stay tomatoes. You don't want to raise children to stay children. We want to raise them to be godly, responsible adults. I don't know how you say all that. Um, so anyway, but it's hard. And when it comes to training your children, you have to be intentional. I'm telling you, you've got to hear from the Holy Spirit when you're making decisions concerning your children. Whether they're infants or whether they're young adults, you need to hear from the Holy Spirit. It isn't usually an audible voice. It's usually the, a soft, that still voice, that knowing on the inside of you. Let's look at Proverbs 16.20. And I'm going to read that in the Amplified Version. Proverbs 16.20. Am I going fast enough for y'all? I'm breezing through this, aren't I? We might. I thought I was going to be too long. We might even get out early. Unless I get on a little tyrant in this part. Because I got a lot to say about it. Proverbs 16.20 in the Amplified says, He who deals wisely and heeds God's word and counsel. Heeds God's word and counsel. Shall find good. And whoever leans on, trusts in, and is confident in the Lord, happy, blessed, and fortunate is he. Whoever heeds God's word and counsel. That word heeds means to look at, to give attention to. We have got to give attention to the word of God, whether it's the written word, the spoken word, the, the word that he speaks to us, the word I'm teaching you right now, the words we sing in praise and worship. The word of God is life. And when you heed his word, when you heed his counsel, the Bible tells me that you will be blessed, happy, blessed, and fortunate. How many of y'all want to be happy, blessed, and fortunate? Me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Well, we've got the formula. We have the formula right here. And it works. We've got to be intentional about hearing the voice of God for our children you need to pray for your children. And kids, you don't have kids yet, good. But listen to me. When you do, one day you will have children. Pray for your children. Ask God questions about them. Intercede for them. Ask him. You know, one thing we learned years and years ago when the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That word is train up a child in the way of his natural bent, the way he is bent. Heidi and Peter were two different bends entirely. Peter was a shock, um, but 
He's the one we prayed for. And I had to remind myself about that more times than I can tell you. I prayed for this child, God. I prayed for this child. Oh, my Lord. Heidi, I didn't pray for, and she was a major blessing from the get-go. Just shows what God can do for you, huh? Anyway, pray for your children. Because everything is not cut and dry when it comes to making decisions for your kids. Some things are like, okay, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. You know, those things. We, we train our children not to, to steal and not to be ugly and not to hurt other kids. Those are cut and dry. But then there's all those other things in between that you're looking and you're going, er, you know, you don't know. Alan told Heidi one time, give me a break. I've never raised a kid before. Heidi, I've never been a dad before. I don't know what I'm doing. Cut me some slack here. We don't, it, my mother used to say that your first child should be like a pancake. You should be able to just throw it away because then you mess them up so bad, you know? Like the first pancake in the pan. She's right. She, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everything is not cut and dry. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us make decisions where our children's lives are concerned. Because there's so many to make in a day. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to discern and decide which friends are good for our children to hang out with. Look, just because your kid goes to school with another kid does not mean he needs to spend a lot of time with that particular kid. Just because that kid goes to church does not mean your child needs to spend a lot of time with that particular kid. Just because um, they're in the same Sunday school. You need to know, you need to ask Holy Spirit, which children should my child spend time with? And when I talk about time, I'm talking about, you know, a, a quantity of time with. Because kids influence one another. Adults influence one another. Kids influence one another. You need to ask God. You need to pray about whether they should go to this event or they shouldn't go to that event. You need to hear the Holy Spirit about that. My, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for our parents' generation. Because... Nobody uses all those little cliches anymore. Well, if Mary jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? You know what? That's pretty smart. <laughs> you know? Our kids, listen, no, I'm not trying to diss the teenagers by any stretch of the imagination because I love teenagers. But teenagers are not adults. Okay? Your 10-year-old is not an adult and cannot make and should not make adult decisions. Science will tell you they're not connected. I mean, it's true. I mean, their reasoning skills are not completely, they're not connected. Research it. Find out for yourself. But I know people that will let their children make major decisions for their lives. And I'm like, hurt. Not even going to go on to all that, because I could talk about that for the next 45 minutes. Decisions like, how, what, what, what do I need to let my kids watch on TV, or on their screens, or on their phones, or how much screen time should they get? Is this show good for them? My kids make fun of me to this day, on a regular basis, especially Peter, 
but they make fun of me because of some of the shows that I would not let them watch when they were kids. I did not let them watch the Smurfs. And they still make fun of me to this day. Mom, there's magic in Mary Poppins. <laughs> but you let us watch Mary Poppins. But you know one thing they do say? I want, I want you to listen to this. It was a conviction. And one thing they do say, but you know what? You believed it and you stuck with it. There were things that maybe now I might would change. Okay? Never been a mom before. Okay? There's things that maybe now I might would change. But you know what? They know that I believed with my heart that we were doing the right thing. And they honored that. We weren't just trying to be mean. We weren't just trying to keep them from doing what other kids were doing when all their other friends were watching the Smurfs and I wouldn't let them watch the Smurfs or whatever. You know, everybody else wears little bitty two-piece bathing suits. Why can't I? Slap, slap, slap. All right. So you have to make, listen, it's important stuff, though. It may sound like little bitty things, but when your children are little and you're making these decisions for them, they're learning to trust in you and in your decision-making process. So when those decisions get bigger decisions, rather than you're going to let your teenager get in a car with this person that you aren't even sure about, it's a matter of life and death. And you've got to start practicing that. Calm down, Marcia. Is my kid lying to me or telling me the truth? Children are born liars. I'm sorry, but they are. You know, they're, they're not saved when they're born. They don't have the Holy Spirit, and they're liars. And if your child has never, you, you're going to tell me your child has never lied to you, you're lying to me. Because you can look right at that kid and say, did you eat that cookie? And he'll tell you no. Yeah. From the time they're old enough to test you. Testing. Children test you. How many of you have, have had a two-year-old in your life? Raise your hand. Seriously. How many of you, when that little kid was growing up and you said, don't you touch that, they did this? Every one of them. Why? Because they're disobedient. They can't help themselves. Heidi says all children are heathen and it's our job to get them saved. And it's true. They lie. We work at a, we have a school. Do you know how many parents have told me, oh, my child would never lie? Anyway, that's another subject too. You have to have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are going at it blind. You're just groping in the dark trying to figure these things out. You've heard Pastor Peter talk about the time he went to that party. Um, and if you haven't heard him talk about it, y'all just ask him yourself. And he woke up after spending the evening doing things they ought not do. And he said, I got to get my life together. It was an awakening moment for him. It was a revelation moment for him that he was going down the wrong path. And he had ended up someplace he never intended on being. Well, let me tell you my side of that story. I didn't want Pete to go to that party. But it was one of those things that you just felt like you needed to let them go. If you've raised your kids, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's one of those things you just, 
you didn't really think it was a good idea, but you felt like you had to let them go. So I'm driving down the road. I can tell you exactly where I was on Deansville Highway. And Holy Spirit said to me, Pete's going to be drinking tonight, but don't worry about it. I've got it. I'll take care of him. That brought such a peace to my heart. Not that I knew my son was going to be drinking, but it brought a peace to my heart knowing God knows where he is, God knows what he's doing, and God's got this thing under control. He told me ahead of time what was going to be happening. I didn't know till years later exactly that whole story with Peter about him making that decision that day that he was going to get his act together and start serving God. But that's what Holy Spirit will do for us if we're spending time praying for our children and interceding and listening for the voice of God. I remember one incident where Pete wanted to go to Six Flags with his friends, and we didn't feel good about it. Just didn't feel good about it. Not that they were bad kids. Just didn't feel good about it. And we didn't let him go. We said, no, we're, you know, we don't feel good about it. That's not a great answer to give to a teenager. I don't feel good about it. Why not? Why don't you feel good about it? <laughs> Just don't feel good about it. Well, those kids had a wreck on the interstate on the way to Six Flags and never did make it to Six Flags. That was an eye-opener for Peter. When your children know that you hear the voice of God, it makes God more real to them, but it also helps them to trust you more in the decisions that you have to make in their lives. Holy Spirit will tell you things in conversation. He'll tell you things about your kids. I remember the time Heidi and I were driving down the road and she'd been out with her, her boyfriend um, on a date. It was, they'd only had a couple dates, but I knew in my heart that he'd, he had kissed my daughter, and I knew it. And so we're driving down the road, and I said, so did so-and-so kiss you last night? I thought her mouth was going to hit the floorboard. Why'd you ask that? I said, because I know he did. How do you know that? She didn't say it mean like that. She never mean. How did you know that? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit told me. And when Holy Spirit, when you listen to him and he tells you things about your kids, like I said, it makes them a believer. They need to see that power of God operating in your life, and you need Holy Spirit working in your life. Your kids will actually, if you haven't experienced this, and if you don't have kids, you will experience this, so listen closely. Your kids will actually fight with you over things that they know is not good for them. They will. They know in their heart, they know that they know that they know that what they're wanting to do is not a good thing for them to do. But by cracking, they'll stand there and they will argue with you till the cows come home about why you should let them do it. You have to hear the Holy Spirit because those, your children can be very forceful um, people, and I don't mean forceful physically. I'm just mean, look, when you're, when you're, you're dealing with a, a teenage boy, I mean, look how big Cole is. And he looks smart. Sort of. Hey, stand up just a second. I'm not going to make you come up front, but I want you to stand up. Look how big he is. He's bigger than me. Okay, you can sit down. And when you're standing there arguing with your teenager who is bigger than you, who is standing there acting like they have got it all together and they know what they're talking about and you do not have a clue, 
you better have a clue. You better have Holy Spirit speaking to you and speaking through you because it gets intimidating. I'll never forget the time I'm yelling at Peter, and he's taller than me, and he, he has a way of making you laugh even when the situation isn't funny. And so I was like, I may be laughing right now, but you are still in really big trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm not okay, and you aren't either. Alan's told you about the time that Peter and the guys at Fort Courage, they were at the kids' camp, decided to take the truck into Clanton. And um, not a one of them had a driver's license. Not a one of them was 16. I don't even 15. They were like 14, 13, 14 years old. So they decided one night they're going to take the truck and drive into Clanton. We were living in Slap Out, and that's about a 45 minute from our house to the kids' fort, to the kids' camp. And Alan's sitting there, and Holy Spirit said, Boys are going to take the truck. Need to go check up on them. He gets up, because he's, you know, like in his lounging clothes. It's, it's 9.30 at night. He's not going anywhere. We, we were working on the fort. It was, if we had a night off, we were not out there, let me tell you. And we only had one night a week. So he gets up. He says, i got to go to the fort. Why are you going to the fort? Boys are going to take the truck. And, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. You couldn't just call and say, don't you dare take that truck. No, you had to actually go in person. So he goes up there. He leaves the house, 45-minute drive, pulling into the camp gate. Who's coming out? The boys in the pickup truck. You can imagine, I just wish Alan had a picture of the look on their faces when they see him coming into that camp because by now it's after 10 o'clock at night. He should not have been there. There was no reason for him to be at that camp except for Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if he's told you this, but what did happen is a little while later, some of those boys, same boys, decided to try it again. Pete didn't go this time, but they still got caught. <laughs> they still got caught. Holy Spirit, we need Holy Spirit operating in our lives, helping us raise our children, helping us in our marriages, helping us in our jobs. We have to depend on him. I read something on Facebook recently, and to paraphrase it because I couldn't go back and find it, they said, this lady said, I, don't, I didn't raise my children, bring my children to church so that they would be perfect. I brought my children to church so that they would know who to go to when they fell. I'm going to get on this soapbox for just a minute. Our children need to be in church. Now, y'all are here, so you can preach this to somebody else, or maybe somebody on Facebook will see it. Your kids need to be in church. When we got saved, we never, the question never, ever, ever, ever was, are we going to church? That was never the question. We were going to church. That's, we breathe oxygen, we go to church. Pretty much that order. <laughs> and we started that as soon as we got saved. Why? Because we knew we needed it. We needed it. I still need it. Our children needed it. Well, we only had Heidi at that time, but she needed it. We needed to be in church. Look, 
Your kids come to children's church. They're greeted. I was telling my sister this. She is a um, she does check-in at her church for kids' church. They come to check in. What do they hear? Hey, buddy, how are you today? Oh, hey, sweetheart, your dress looks so pretty. Oh, I, what do they hear? I'm so glad to see you. Hey, it's a great day. This is what they're going to get. What? Love, acceptance, welcome. They go to kids' church. Same thing. Hey, how are you? Oh, let me see that. That's so cute. Oh, how are you doing today? Whatever. Love, acceptance, welcome. I belong. These people love me. What do they do? They go in kids' church. Yeah, they have a lot of fun. I think every parent should be down there at least during one service. They have a lot of fun. But they hear the word of God. I mean, they hear the word of God. They may tell you, what would you do in kids' church today? Oh, we play ball. They did a whole lot more than that, I promise. They hear the word of God. They hear that God loves them, that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives. They hear that acceptance, that love. It builds community for them. They need to be in church. Your grandkids need to be in church. If you can get them there, get them there. They need to know God. They need to know the Holy Spirit. They need to be able to hear his voice. They need to be taught how to do that. They need to know him. When my kids wanted to do something and I wasn't sure about it, I would tell them, especially when they got older, but even when they were, you know, elementary age, I would tell them, let me pray about it. Let me just pray about it. You pray about it, and I'll pray about it. And we'll see what God has to say. I'm open. To, I'm open. If God says it's okay, I'm, I, I'll go with it. I'm open. Be honest with your children about it and pray. Pray over the situations in their lives. I want to read this article to you. I was talking about kids going to church. Connie gave me this the other day. Um, so there's a new survey led by evangelical researcher George Barna shows that only 40% of U.S. parents consider the Bible to be God's accurate word for humanity. Shockingly, few parents intentionally speak to their children about beliefs and behaviors based upon a biblical worldview, Barna said in a statement. Conducted in January by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, the study surveyed 600 parents with children younger than 13 in order to analyze the worldview dilemma of American parents. The results were published, blah, blah, blah. The survey showed that 67% of the participant parents identified as Christians, listen to this, but only 2% subscribed to a biblical worldview as defined by the researchers and emerges from accepting the Bible as a relevant and authoritative guide for life. 2%. 2% of the Christian parents said that they accept the Bible as a relevant and authoritative guide for life. I want you to know the Bible is still true. It's the only thing that hasn't changed. Everything else in this world 
changes from day to day, minute to minute. The Bible is consistent and true. It is not old or outdated. It may have been written in King James. Get a message, okay? Get a message Bible. Get an Amplified. Get an NIV. Get a standard. You can go on and on and on and on if you don't like the King James. I personally don't care to read the King James because I don't wither thou goest anywhere. But what I am saying is it's true. The scriptures I read you, did they not apply to where we are today? The scriptures Pastor Allen read you, they apply to where we are today. It is relevant, it is true, and it is the only thing that is going to get you through life victoriously. Attesting that parents are both a primary influence and a gatekeeper to other influences on their children, Barna said in this statement, a parent's resp primary response, listen to this, a parent's primary responsibility is to prepare a child for the life God intends for that child. I started saying this when I opened up about raising children according to their particular bent, according to the way that child's personality, the things God has planned for their lives. Heidi and Peter are two completely different people. We can't, couldn't raise Peter like we raised Heidi. They're two completely different people. So what do you do? You ask Holy Spirit what to do with this one, how to navigate through that situation. God, what do you want for their lives? A crucial element in nurturing is helping the child develop a biblical worldview, the filter that causes a person to make their choices in harmony with biblical teachings and principles. Barna added, every parent teaches what they know and models what they believe. They can only give what they have, and what they have to give reflects their driving belief about life and spirituality. What you have to give is what you're putting in, what you're entertaining your, yourself with. And when I say entertaining, I don't mean like watching TV. What you're putting in, that's what you have to give out. Put Holy Spirit first place in your life. Allow him to lead you and direct you in every area of your life. I want you to take just a few minutes to think about what's influencing your children. I'm wrapping it up. Your children are in school seven hours a day, five days a week. And if their teachers are not born again, devout Christians, I don't even want to think about what they're learning in their classrooms because I know for a fact they're not learning reading, writing, and arithmetic in most of your traditional classrooms. So your children are being influenced seven hours a day, five days a week, pretty much by people we don't know. Not only that, those, the kids that they hang out with after school, their peers, who are they associating with? Are they going to basketball, baseball, football, ballet, piano, taekwondo after school? Are they going to day camp? Are they going to aftercare? Who's influencing them there? What are they watching on TV? How much time are they spending on devices? What are they watching on Instagram, TikTok, all those other things? YouTube. 
Are you paying attention to that? What's influencing your children's lives? Think about that. I recently told someone, kids are kind of like cattle. They got to have their group. Cattle have, have to have a herd. They have to have a herd. Kids need their peers. We need peers. There's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, that's okay. They're fun. You do stuff with them. There's nothing wrong with that. They need a group. But it's your responsibility to know who that group is and what that group's doing and what they believe and what their core values are. Do they go to church? What church? What do they believe? Look, our youth are getting ready to go to youth camp. And they're going to have experiences with the Holy Spirit that's going to stick with them the entire rest of their lives. Why are they doing that? Because they go to youth group. Because they, their parents have put them in that position. They have put themselves in that position. Some of, the, some of them, they don't go to church here, but they love to go to youth group. So because of that association, they're going to go to a Christian camp for five days, and it's going to be a Holy Spirit-filled camp, and they're going to have an encounter with God. Those associations are so important for our children. As parents, you've got to be strong. You've got to be strong. I used to tell Peter when he was a little bitty toddler, you will not win. I will win this battle. I will win. I didn't care if it took me paddling him 15 times in a day. I was going to win. Because I told you earlier in this sermon, I'm strong-willed. He just thought he was strong-willed. You have to be strong. You have to make decisions for your children that they will buck against. And you need the Holy Spirit helping you to do it. Don't give in to their peer pressure. Don't give in to other adult peer pressure because y'all, as adults, we feel it too. It doesn't go away when you turn 20 by any stretch of the imagination. We feel peer pressure too. Don't give in to it. You do what you know is right in your heart according to what Holy Spirit has instructed you to do. Amen. Ephesians 6.10 says, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him. That strength with his, which his boundless might provides. Be strong in the Lord. You have everything you need to do it. He's given you the power. He's given you the authority. Be strong in who he created you to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your love. Father, we just thank you that you've given us everything that we need to, to be successful to walk in victory, to know you and to hear your voice. You've provided us with all of it. And God, I'm asking you to help us to be sensitive to your voice. Help us to cultivate our relationship with you so that we can hear your voice in every area of our lives. Father, I just bless the people today. I thank you, Father, that they're blessed coming in and going out. Father, they're blessed in the city, they're blessed in the field. Father, they bless when they rise up and bless when they lie down. I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.